I think if ever righteousness points were deserved, it's in this service. Don't you agree? I mean, we had to make such a sacrifice to be here this morning. I mean, if you should, yeah, the spring ahead thing, that usually cancels out about half the crowd. And you put on seven inches of snow on top of that. And uh, this is the righteous remnant. We have arrived, right? Give yourselves a hand. Hallelujah. All right. Well, anyways, it's a, you know, it feels weird to stand when there's a crowd. This, 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 it feels like a more intimate setting. So let's get intimate, which means I'm going to sit down. <laughs> but that's not the real reason why I want to sit down, as you're going to see today in this message. The reasons we give for the, doing the things we do are not usually the reasons why we do them. So think about that. The real reason I'm sitting down, because my back is killing me, because I had to shovel so much this morning. That was the heaviest snow I've ever shoveled. It, it was like slush. And I got a snowblower, so that did most of the heavy lifting. But then there's always places that you, you, you can't get with a snowblower. So it was just like... Like, like shoveling water. Ugh. So um, I'm feeling every, every, every year of my age. Uh, if, if, I, if I stand up and just all of a sudden start stretching, just know that I'm just trying to like loosen up the back, keep it going. And I learned something this morning, since we're intimate and informal here. Just because you're 61 doesn't mean you stop learning. So I was, I, I've, I'm having glass issues this morning. For one thing, I stepped on them, and that's why they're crooked. And I can't get them straight. <laughs> So it's not my face that's crooked, although my face is crooked. Uh, it's just my glasses are all mixed up. And then I, I, I couldn't totally get into the last song because I spent the whole song trying to unsmudge my glasses. They're full of smudges. And so I'm like, I usually go, and then you clean them off and stuff. But it wouldn't come off. I was like, why is it, this is like the unsurpassable smudge. It can't, it's unremovable. And then all of a sudden it occurs to me, like, well, I was thinking, what could be gunking up my glasses so bad? And I'm sucking on a butterscotch candy. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm wetting my glasses with that butterscotch candy, and so there's all this sugar on my glasses. So now I'm, I can kind of see you, but anyways. There, there are my woes. Oh, I got a bad back. I can't see straight. And I got a crooked face. What are you going to do? <laughs> got to go with it. So uh, we're starting a new series here that we're calling The Crux of the Matter. That's a very clever title. I didn't come up with it. My creative team did. Uh, but it's clever because crux in Latin means cross. But in English, it also can mean the central thing. What's the crux of the matter? And as we're going to be in various ways reiterating throughout the series, uh, it's, it's, it's ultimately about the importance of keeping the cross as the crux of the matter, of, of keeping the crucified Christ central to all things in our life. Um, here's the backstory on how this series came about. Two different parishioners or parishioner families wrote us uh, this last year and had similar questions. Uh, they both have come out of conservative evangelical backgrounds. A, they kind of woke up to the kingdom, a Jesus-looking God, raising up a Jesus-looking people to transform the world in a Jesus kind of way. And uh, that just reshaped all of their theology, and uh, it, it uh, infused them with a new kind of passion and joy, and, and a lot of their beliefs changed. And, and so they're, they're very happy about it. But they have family and friends who aren't so happy about it, who are still conservative evangelical Christians, and they're, they're like worried about you because all of a sudden you seem 
Well, the word they always will use is liberal. If, if you're not one of them, you're liberal. It's an infectious disease that you have if you're not a conservative Christian. And uh, uh, it's not on you. And, it, and you know, the word, because you're not like as involved in politics as you used to be, and you're not hating the right people, and you're not like you know, angry all the time, and, and you, you know, you're not obsessing any longer about the rapture, and, and there's a whole lot of other beliefs that just don't seem that important to you. And, and you're always talking about helping people and doing good to people and showing God's love to people. That's what makes you sound liberal. And so you have to try to have conversations with these people, but it goes nowhere. It just explodes. Some of you know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. Most folks at Willow Hills come out of that background. And uh, the question they're asking in various ways is, how do you have, how do you, how do you, talk, how do you stay in love and, 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 and have rational, calm, loving conversations with people about very, very difficult topics? That's really the, 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 what this series is about. Especially when those other people, they assume that their map is the territory, if you know what I mean. Their way of seeing things is the way things are. And so if you disagree, you're just off. It's wrong with you. You're not very smart, or maybe you don't really care. And uh, so how, how, how do you talk about this kind of stuff? Um, what makes this important is this, and this is the most fundamental message we ever give around here at Woodland Hills. But it's, it's this. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, Do everything in love. Everyone say everything. everything. Do everything in love. I looked into it, and the Greek word means everything. Really nuance there. Which I presume means that it includes talking about politics and religion. If you're talking about whatever you do, whatever you discuss, whoever you're discussing with, it's got to be done in love. And, and, and the Bible gives us the perfect, unambiguous definition of love, the kind of love that God is and the kind of love that we're, we're, we're to be extending to others. It gives us a great definition by pointing us to the cross. 1 John 3.16. Here's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Uh, the kind of love he's talking about is this self-sacrificial love, this other-oriented love, uh, the kind of love that ascribes worth to another at cost to yourself, regardless of the worthiness of the other. That's what love is, ascribing worth. In fact, if the cross is the definition of what love is, well then, love is about ascribing unsurpassable worth, ultimate worth to the other, another person, at cost to yourself, you reflect what they're worth by what you're willing to sacrifice for them, regardless of the worthiness of the other. Whether they're offering a bouquet of flowers or a bullet in the head, our task is always the same. And so the question is, how do we have discussions about difficult topics, controversial topics, topics that, that maybe we and the other person are passionate about? How do you have conversations about those kind of things? And yet, do it in a way that, that expresses the unsurpassable worth of the other person, as I always say around here. If you're in a debate, and winning the debate becomes more important than manifesting God's love to the other person, then do the kingdom of God a favor and shut up. Just shut up. Because you can win the debate, but you still lose if you're not doing it in love. Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you accomplish, whoever you impress, whatever arguments you win, however great your debating skills are, if they're not done in love, it's altogether worthless. First, first Corinthians 13. You can be the smartest person in the world, the most spiritual-looking person in the world, have miraculous powers, have all knowledge, have all wisdom, all understanding. But if, you don't, if it's not motivated by love and it's not done in love, it's altogether worthless. Love is self-sacrificial. Cross-like love is the all-or-nothing of the kingdom. The sine qua non of the kingdom. All or nothing. If you get this one down, everything else you need to get down will be gotten down. But if we don't get this one down, loving 24-7, if we don't get that down, well, it doesn't matter what else we get down, what else, what else we accomplish, it's altogether worthless. So, so, so everything, 
is to be done in love. How do we do that? So I'm entitling this message, The Self-Righteous Mind. Uh, and I'm kind of setting up this whole series here, and I'm going to be arguing that, that, that the self-righteous mind, this judgmental mind, this I am right always mindset, uh, that mindset is the number one obstacle to living in love and conversing about t- difficult topics in love. I will admit that I am sort of plagiarizing this title because the bulk of this message, at least the first half of it, will be uh, on this book that I read uh, during vacation two weeks ago called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haid. I'm not sure his name's pronounced Haid, but I thought I'd rather err saying Mr. Haid than Mr. Hate. Uh, so I'll call Mr. Haid. It's an incredible book. I, I've read other things this guy's written, and he's super smart. And I love the way he thinks. And, and it's, I'm not re- necessarily recommending this for everybody because it's not everyone's cup of tea. It's a science book. And, and, and not everything that he says would I agree with. I'm sure not all of you would agree with. Uh, he's an atheist for one thing. But what he's trying to do, what he's trying to do in this book, and he does it, I think, brilliantly, is he's, he's taken an evolutionary perspective on this question. Why do humans... Find it hard to stay rational when discussing difficult topics. And he's going to argue from an evolutionary perspective why our minds are like this. Um, He's especially interested in coming to an understanding of where America's at right now because he sees what we all see, and that is that this this is a country that is extremely divided, polarized, um, and and just on party lines, and, it, and it's getting worse and worse and worse because people are siloed into their own little echo chambers and listening to only folks who talk like them and think like them and agree with them, so their beliefs are just getting reinforced. And so he's asking, what causes this? What is it about the human mind that we gravitate towards this, and what can we do about it? Okay, that, that, that's the, the, whole, the whole, whole kit and caboodle here. Uh, you don't have to agree with the theory of evolution, as you, as you have heard in the series that we just finished here. Uh, on science and faith, but you don't have to agree with evolution in order to appreciate his, his findings, because ultimately his findings are based on neuroscience. How, how does our brain operate? He has a theory about how we got here. I happen to agree with it to a large degree, um, but you don't have to agree with how we got here to, in order to appreciate the fact that we are here, and that, that, that presents an incredible problem to us. Okay, so I'm first going to uh, outline uh, Hayes' theory. Uh, and then I'm going to show what's wrong with this theory, and then I'm going to show what's right with this theory, and that's the take-home for us uh, as, as, as kingdom people, all right? So here it goes. Hade argues that you can liken the brain to this elephant. And this elephant, this is our whole brain here, it's been evolving for hundreds of millions of years. And the basic structure of our brain is no different than the basic structure of the most primitive brain. Uh, the brain is there to, most of all, de- detect in your environment when something is a threat or when something is uh, a benefit. It's a plus and minus thing. It starts very, very primitive, but then it becomes very, very sophisticated. But it's always about that. Uh, the brain's there to sort of protect you. And so uh, when there's something negative in the environment, the brain secretes, and this is true for all animals and all insects in various ways, there's a chemical that gets secreted that makes you want to either fight or flee. That amygdala gets activated in humans. Uh, and, and if there's something positive, well, uh, different chemicals get activated and the, the, we experience pleasure or anticipation. It's a positive thing. And so over time, the brain evolves. It gets more and more sophisticated at interacting with its environment, but it's always about assessing pros and cons and responding according, accordingly. And here's the important point. Those chemicals create feelings um, to either run or fight 
or uh, pleasurable feelings, like, oh, good, there's food. Um, reason is a relative latecomer on this whole thing. The elephant operates just by feelings. Our reasoning brain is, is the higher functions of the brain that are distinctly human are, are less than 100,000 years old, and some of the higher functions, some argue, are less than 50,000 years old. Our reason is a latecomer. Now, here's the thing. We all assume, don't we, that our reason is, is, is the driver, that our reason is to steer the elephant. Elephant, I want you to go this way. Elephant, I want you to go this way. The trouble is, there's a wealth of science that shows that that is not the case. Not usually, anyways. Um, on the whole, reason follows the elephant. See, that elephant knows what it's doing. It's been doing this for millions and millions of years. It's very sophisticated. It, it doesn't need reason to tell it what to do. It, it's got, it, it, it just responds uh, chemically. The job of reason, from an evolutionary perspective, according to hate, is this. Number one, the job of reason is to uh, help the elephant get what, 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 what it wants. You came out as a way of, you solve problems so the elephant can, 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 there's a wider range of things that the elephant can now get because of you. That's job number one. Job number two is really interesting because it, this is the job of justifying the elephant getting what it wants. The job of reason is to justify, to, so the elephant feels good about getting what it wants. To, congr to congratulate the elephant for making such a smart choice. Uh, to come up with reasons for why the elephant did what it did. Now, the, 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 the standard theory right now is this, that this evolved when humans got to a point where uh, uh, greater group activity or teamwork was, was advantageous for survival in tough times. And, and in, in, for teams to operate, it helps to be able to anticipate what others are going to do and, and to kind of coordinate your activity, which means you've got a mind read. And that's when you begin to ask the question, why did you do what you did? Or why are you going to do what you're going to do? Why? And now we have to give a, 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 a response. Um, and so the brain thinks of reasons why you did that. But it thinks of the reasons why you did that after you did it. The only real reason why you did what you did is because you wanted to. It felt right, but now you have, to, you have to provide reasons for it. In other words, according to this theory, all reasoning is really rationalization. We're justifying what we do. We don't know that that's why we did it, but we have to come up with some reason. And so we have an audience that we have to answer to. And so this develops introspection, and now this whole thing of creating reasons. In fact, they've done these experiments where, and Hayde provides a number of them that are fascinating, but they take people who get hypnotized. And they'll tell them that, you know, at a certain word, let's say red, uh, you to tie your shoe. Untie your shoe and then tie it again. And then they take them out of the hypnosis. So the person doesn't know that they're now brainwashed to do that. And at some point, the person will say the word red. Oh, look at that red something or other. And the person will then, of course, tie, untie their shoe and tie it again. And then they ask them, why did you do that? And what's amazing is that the people on the spot come up with a reason. They invent a reason, whatever the activity was. It, it, sometimes it will be almost preposterous. But they're totally convinced that that's why they did what they did. I tied my shoe because I, it, the shoelace was, I, I could tell it wasn't tied right. It was feeling loose on my foot. Now, that's, that's not really what happened, but the person can be, genuinely be convinced that that's what happened because they tied their shoe, so that must have been what happened. All the reasons are what are called ad hoc reasons. They're, 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 they're posted on after the fact. The job of reason is to justify the elephant getting what it wants. Now, uh, this, this is what makes communication about difficult topics so difficult. Uh, 
And honestly, when reading Cade's book, it can be a little discouraging at points. It's like, oh, this is impossible. Because here's the thing. First of all, our brains are wired differently. We process information differently uh, on, on a lot of different fronts. Take the conservative liberal spectrum, for example. There's tons of studies that show that people who tend to be more liberal-minded, they, they look at the, the, the past in a negative way, and they tend to be optimistic about the future. And so every, everything they process in the world gets you know, kind of filed accordingly, whereas people with a more conservative mind, they tend to view the past as positive and the future as negative, or at least potentially negative, which is why they want to conserve. And these folks, are, they can't help it. This is their, their brain wiring. It's just fundamentally different. And really, it's a good thing because we need each other to balance each other out. Um, but in this fallen world that we live in, it can be a very, very bad thing because we have trouble understanding each other. But on top of that, even apart from that, that basic difference in hardwiring, here's the thing. Our brain is born with, we're born with certain expectations about what's going to be real. So there is some hardwiring there. But for the most part, for the most part, our brain is potential when we're born. And according to the most recent field of, of biology called epigenetics, uh, what gets activated in our brain will totally depend on how we interact with our environment. So we need things in our environment to trigger, to turn on certain attributes and, and, and characteristics that will develop over time. So you could take two people who are, let's say, identical, identical twins. And at some point, they just make a little different decision on what they want. They head in a little different direction. But see, every decision you make opens some new doors and closes others. So as you go down this path and open up these doors and close others, they're going down that path and opening up doors and closing others. Um, and, 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 and so they, 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 they keep going in that direction. And with each step, this is the important point, with each step, their reasoning is telling them, good job. That, that's what you're supposed to do. It's justifying it. This is the right way to go. Oh, this, and so it feels like you're going the right way because that's what reason is for, to make you feel like you're going the right way. And so you're heading down this path. And initially, you were, you were maybe the, the, you made, your choices were only an inch apart. But you go on now a year or five years or ten years, and you can find that your worlds are completely different. You're living in different narratives. You have a ten... Notice this. Because this is the righteous mind. For 10 years, every step you've been saying, good job, good job, this is right, this is right, giving reasons for it. And so you create this whole narrative of rightness. You're going in this direction because it feels right. That's your job, according to reasoning. So you're over here, and you're convinced your map is the territory because it feels right, because it's designed to feel right. <laughs> That's why you head down this path. But the same is true for them. And the thing is, that now you, you, your different narratives give you a totally different framework for looking at the world, different value system, different way of reasoning about things. And it can be the point that you can't even understand where they're coming from. In fact, listen to this, all of their reasoning sounds to you like rationalization. They really don't believe that. No one could possibly really believe that. They're just saying they believe that. It sounds like a rationalization. And all, everything you're saying sounds like a rationalization to them. And you're both right. <laughs> Think about it. You're, you're both right. So according to Hayde, arguing about this stuff is, for the most part, futile. You've got the riders on the elephants arguing with one another, but the riders had nothing to do with the real issue, why you guys are different. The, the, your elephants just wanted to go in different directions. Your riders have to come up with reasons for it, so you're fighting about that. But it's really quite pointless because reasons weren't what you got you there, so reasoning isn't what's going to get you out of there. It becomes quite fr fruitless. 
So it all feels, so if you listen to MSNBC and they all sound like a bunch of hypocrites rationalizing, or you listen to Fox News and they all sound like a bunch of hypocrites rationalizing, well, now you know why. There's a built-in judgment there. My map is the territory, and if you don't agree, well, there's something fundamentally wrong with you. And then on top of that, as Hayes shows in this book, uh, humans are intrinsically, inherently, and evolutionarily, necessarily, tribal. We're tribal. And that's not a good thing. Um, well, it can't be a good thing, because you cooperate with, with, with others to get things done. But here's the thing. Our elephants like to be around elephants that are going the same direction they're going. Uh, we, we like sameness. Sameness feels like safety. And so we like to have elephants around us, people around us, who think like we think. Uh, people for whom it's easy, I, we, we get their why. They, they, they give their rationalizations, and they sound like my rationalizations, so there's a familiarity there. And these are elephants that want the same thing that my elephant wants, so we can work together to all get what we want. And, and, and so our writers bond with one another. Like, oh, I recognize myself in you. So we bond. And we bond over against all those others whose tribes are now formed around a different narrative, a competing narrative. Um, and and, and all, the, the, these, the, so the, the, the tribe reinforces our convictions. Uh, we, we, we like that. We, we, our pleasure centers get activated when our beliefs get reinforced. And the tribe is there to reinforce them. And that's the glue that holds the tribe together. Trouble is, the other tribes are doing the exact same thing. And you can't understand one another. And it gets to the point where you don't even want to understand. Your riders, the riders of the elephant, don't even want to know what the other riders on the other elephants are thinking or what the reasons are because they don't believe them. Uh, they, they, they say, and we know what this sounds like, don't we? Those evil Democrats, they just like to kill babies. That's what they like to do. Those evil Republicans, they only like the rich. They don't care about the middle class or the poor or anything like that. They, well, they'll say they care. They say, yeah, but look what they do. No one can possibly care. Really, those evil Democrats, so they just like to you know, create welfare states so they get dependents, so they get insured voting block. That's what they're doing. They say they care, but they don't really care. It's, it's, it's toxic. It's ugly. It's putrid. There's no goodwill there. There's, the assumption is evil intent because we can't understand where the other person's coming from, because they're an entirely different narrative. The righteous mind. Uh, and, and so when there's disagreement, oh, that elephant acts up. That elephant, if, 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 it's, if it's an important thing the elephant wants, uh, then the elephant acts up, and the amygdala gets activated, and you're no longer going to have a discussion in love or a discussion in rationality. Um, you're going to be hollering at each other, which never produces any good. If you ever find yourself at a point where you're hollering, you, nothing your amygdala is now activated. Your prefrontal lobe cortex isn't working at all. The reasoning, even if reasoning was actually rational, which Hayden's saying it's not, but, but it's gone. Uh, you, this is just a chemical reaction here, and nothing good will happen unless you stop and take a 20-minute break to get the chemicals out of your system. And think about Jesus or something. <laughs> but that, that's, that, that's that, not, 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 now we can see why, why uh, it happens like that. So here's the thing. Here's what's wrong with this theory. Um, I'm, there's a lot wrong with it, but I'm going to give you two arguments here. One is, this can't be the whole story, because folks, if this is the whole story, it's hopeless. It's utterly hopeless. And to be honest, reading Hayes' book is, is fascinating. I, 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 it was, for me, a page-turner, but at points, I felt quite hopeless, because like there's, there's nothing you can do. By definition, you can't have a rational solution to this. We're, 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 hopefully, we're hopelessly primitive. We, we just ride on the, on the coattails of this, this elephant that has been evolving for hundreds of million years, and it does what it wants, and our job is to try to justify it. And if we don't agree, 
Well, there's, there's no way of resolving this. By definition, there's no way of resolving this. And so then what happens is, is if there's no way of resolving it or coming to a consensus or a compromise, well, then you just have to win. And that can mean just winning a vote or can mean dropping a hydrogen bomb. It doesn't, it, 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 depending on whether you're talking politics or, or international conflict. But yeah, it leaves you feeling quite hopeless. I have reason to think that there is hope for humanity and therefore I think there's something wrong with this position. The second thing that's wrong with this position, and follow this, is this. If it's true that the mind, the brain, can only, our reasoning can only justify what the, our elephant was going to do anyways, what our instinct was going to do anyways. If that's true, if all thinking is actually rationalization, if that's true, then that thought that I just shared was itself a rationalization. The thought that all thinking is rationalization is itself a rationalization. And if it's just a rationalization for me to believe or do whatever I was going to believe or do anyways, I have no reason to think it's true. It's got nothing to do with truth. Now, there's, there's no necessary connection. Um, so if it's true that all thinking is a rationalization, then it can't be true that all thinking is a rationalization. Because at least that thought was not a rationalization, if it's, in fact it's true. <laughs> or another way of saying it is this. If, if the naturalistic evolutionary account, the, the godless evolutionary account, if, if that's the whole story, then we could never know it's the whole story, because that would require us to have brains that can know truth, but you just told us that our brains can't know truth. We only can rationalize. You can't have it both ways. It can't be the whole story. Fortunately, there's now scientific evidence that's not the whole story. I think intuitively we knew it wasn't the whole story. Um, but now there's, there's actually neurological evidence for this. Because here's what we discovered. There's actually now neurological proof that that reasoning, reasoning can, in fact, influence the elephant. Reason doesn't have to ride the back of the elephant. Reason can, in fact, steer the elephant a little bit, a, a little bit each moment. And then, given moment, your influence is quite small. But if you exercise that influence, that small influence, moment by moment by moment, well, over a day and a month and a year, that influence becomes quite large. And it's actually possible to not only influence the elephant, but eventually transform what the elephant wants. You can lead it. It's possible. We know we have that capability. Here's the thing. We hardly ever, ever use it. We hardly ever use it. Our default setting is just to go along with the elephant. One reason is that it's, in fact, the main reason is that it's easier. It's a lot easier to, to, to ride on an elephant that you're pretending to steer than it is to actually steer the elephant. Because to steer the elephant, you're bucking up against hundreds of millions of years of evolution. That elephant is used to getting what it wants. And now, if reason is in charge, you might have to say no to, to, to what the elephant wants. And the elephant doesn't like that. And you don't like it either. No one likes to, to, to not get what they want. But reason can, if it's intentional, guide that elephant. But it can only do that. Here's the last piece of science information, and then we'll do a takeaway. It can only do that when there's something that reason identifies as being more important than the elephant. Got that? There has to be a goal, something that you want more than you want to gratify that elephant. That's the condition for it. So that, that, that's the science of the situation, why I don't think it's the whole story. But here, here's what I think is really true about it, uh, our takeaway. That what Haidt is saying here is this, that science itself... Science itself is telling us that if you want to know truth, 
you've got to deny yourself. Tr- knowing truth and even caring about truth isn't easy. Because usually we just care about getting what we want. If you want truth, and want truth more than, than, if you want to know the truth more than you want to be right about what you think about the truth, like just that feeling of rightness, you, you're going to have to deny yourself. This is why science is such a hard discipline. Uh, theoretically, the, the goal is to set aside all your personal preferences, all your personal beliefs, and just be objective, knowing objective truth. That is so hard to do, but it's possible. Uh, to know truth, you've got to deny yourself. In fact, to, to, to have a calm, rational discussion with anybody, you've got to deny yourself. Uh, to, ha- to be at all objective in the way you think about the world, you're going to have to deny yourself. Sacrifice some of your wants. In fact, science itself is telling us that if you want to be free, if you don't want to be a slave to your elephant, tied to a chain of your instinctive animal nature, if you want to be free, you're going to have to deny yourself. Now, is anyone here in this auditorium, we're a small club, has anyone here ever heard anything like that before? Does that echo with anybody? It sounds similar to anybody, anybody? I mean, was it, was it, was it Buddha or Muhammad? Somebody said something like that. Ha! If you lose your life, you'll find it. But if you try to find your life, you'll lose it. It's all over the place in the teachings of Jesus. You're either going to be a slave to yourself or you're going to have to die to yourself in order to get free. In fact, throughout the whole New Testament, we, we, we find this, that to, to, to live in love... And to have conversations in love, it requires us to always be humbling ourselves. Putting aside that righteous mind and humbling ourselves. It requires us, the Bible itself tells us this, to put the interests of others above ourselves. That means denying yourself. It requires us to be intentional about saying no to our elephant. uh, To have develop a capacity to listen to others when we'd rather talk. It requires us, and here's the hardest one, to turn off all of our judgments. All of our judgments. And that elephant was evolved to do nothing other than judge. I like, I don't like, good for me, bad for me. It, it, it assesses everything. And, and yet to, to live in love as Christ loved us means we have to be saying no to that. We still have to evaluate things, of course. We have to, but, but, but not, not to judge, not to get superior to, not to go into that righteous mindset and to feed off of it. So in this case, you know, people talk about how incompatible science and faith are. It's just, a, it's hogwash. You strip them down to their bare core values, and they're actually identical. Actually identical. To know the truth, you've got to deny yourself. But the good news of the New Testament is that, in fact, I would say this, that you can think of all discipleship in the New Testament as a matter of domesticating your elephant. Now, the elephant's got a lot of good things to say, and on the whole, you can trust your elephant on the whole, but it's, it, it, it doesn't have any ethics. It, it, it's, it's all self-centered. It's animal. And, and all discipleship is a matter of taking that now and bringing every thought captive to Christ and every intuition captive to Christ so, they, so the elephant is listening to you rather than the other way around. And the most beautiful thing, folks, is that the New Testament tells us how to do that. You recall that you can only say no to your elephant if there's something that you desire or something that's more important to you, more valuable to you than your elephant. Which is to say something more valuable than you yourself because you are identified with your elephant. You always have to ride that elephant. So you, you have to want something more than your, your own self. And the New, the New Testament tells us what that is. Uh, here's one example. It's, it's a lot of passages here, but here's a passage that if you come here very often, you know that I, I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5. I've come back to this a lot. So much wisdom packed into this thing. Uh, it, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, For the love of Christ, Paul says, urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, 
so that those who live, listen to this, might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. So Paul is here explaining why, um, just keep on listening to me, why he's here explaining, but you never saw this before. If you just take a moment just to stretch it out, loosen it up. There you go. It feels good. There you go. All right. Commercial break over. So Paul is saying here, he's explaining why he gave up his cushy life to become this missionary, and, and, and he's gone through such hardships and stuff. And he says, you guys, the, the love of Christ compels me. I'm driven by this love of Christ, the love of Christ for me and my love for Christ. Because, see, he had a vision. He had, a, he had, a, he had an understanding of who Christ was. And, and, and he, seeing the God revealed in Christ, the God who, who died for all so that all have died, the God who changed everything on Calvary, the, the beauty of that conception of God, it just was more important than anything else for him. That became the highest priority. That became his everything. And so he said he crucifies himself daily for the sake of Christ. He says no to his elephant all the time for the sake of Christ. I'm sure Paul, Paul, his elephant, like all of our elephants, his elephant would have liked to have lived a comfortable life, but he found something that was more important than comfort. His elephant would have, I'm sure, liked to have lived a normal life with a happy family and a wife and kids and all the rest. But there's something he found that was more important than that. I'm sure his elephant uh, would have enjoyed a regular paying job, but he found something that was more important than that. His his elephant for sure didn't want to be beaten up all the time and thrown into prison and shipwrecked and eventually martyred. I'm sure his elephant wanted to stay alive. Every moment of evolution has been producing that, self-preservation. And yet Paul found something that was more important, more beautiful, more compelling than that. And that was the love of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Uh, a love for that beauty and the beauty of that love, it just transformed everything. And that is, that's what the kingdom is all about. That's the fuel that the kingdom runs on. Uh, have discovered something that, that renders everything else obsolete and, and, and relatively unimportant. Because when you get your life from Christ, if you're really getting your life from Christ, when, that's, when you're seeking first the kingdom of God and your eyes are always fixed on Christ, when, when, when that's your mode... You just don't care that much about being right in an argument. You don't need it. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You're not, you're not feeding off of that. Only if you're getting your life from Christ can you set aside that righteous mind where you're like, your map is the territory. You no, know, it, it empowers you to be humble because you don't need to be right about stuff. You don't need to be puffing yourself up. You don't need to present yourself. You don't need to justify. You can just be you. And, and, and that frees you to not care about things other than you, like truth. And, and maybe the person's making a point or whatever. It changes absolutely everything. And this so much applies to our having difficult conversations. The, the, the key, folks, is to integrate Christ into every aspect of our life. So that Christ isn't something we just think about, someone, someone we think about once a week or once a day, but rather we're cultivating a mindset where our eyes are fixed on Christ. We're always aware of his presence, always aware of his beauty, and always feeding off of that. And see, when you introduce that into a difficult conversation, it changes everything. So I tell you guys a lot. I, I'm, I'm pretty open with my faults. Would you agree? I'm, I, it's part of my greatness. I'm humble, you know? It's, so it's... No, but I, 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 I'm very honest about all the things I suck at because there's a lot of them. But this is one area where I'm actually, I will tell you, I'm good at this because I've had a lot of practice because I've had a lot of difficult conversations because a lot of people don't like me. And... and, and and so I, I, I've, learned, I've, I've learned how to stay present and to receive just very tough criticism 
And, and so, and this is what I can actually teach from experience. But uh, this was like maybe 10, 12 years ago. I was at a theology conference, which I, I hardly ever go to anymore for this reason. Uh, two, two, two folks approached me, and they want to talk about this recent book that I wrote and theories. And so I, I got some time, so we started having a conversation. And for the first 10 minutes, it was, I thought, a friendly conversation, animated, but, you know, it was, it was going well. But then I said something. Well, I kind of, I got this guy cornered. He had to admit that he was wrong about something, and that made him really, really mad. And then it turned ugly. He started saying these really insulting things. And I get triggered. If someone comes up to you and just calls you a terrible name or accuses you of something, you know, that feeling you get, like, like it's like a, a, a jolt. It's like, did, did he just say that? Oh, my gosh. Did you just call me a what? And, and is that fight or flight? No, here's the thing. We, we assume that that means you're now going to get enraged. That's just stage one of enragement. It doesn't have to be. Um, there is. If you examine yourself carefully, when you get triggered, Someone insults you. Something happens. There's that feeling. There is a decision that you make. There really is. There's a window of opportunity. It's very, very small. But there is a window there where you say either you're going to go with it or you're going to say no to it. And almost always we go with it because from an evolutionary perspective, you're supposed to. It's there for a reason. Trust your elephant. If it's saying alarm, then be alarmed. We, we, we decide to go with it. Like, oh, oh you want to throw down? Okay, step up. You, 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 you want a piece of meat? You know, that's your elephant talking. Come on. And all that stupid stuff. But you do choose that. Now, maybe you've done so often now that you're not capable of not choosing it. And it would take a long time to get that skill back. But there is a choice. Because you can choose to do this. You can, you can reprogram that trigger. Listen to this carefully, guys. This is a lot. You can reprogram your trigger so that it will now serve you as a post-it note to remind you to turn your attention towards Christ. And if you do that regularly enough and practice it, when you get triggered, you automatically start, oh, thank you, this is where I'm supposed to call on Christ. And so as I'm talking to these two guys, and now it's getting turning ugly, I start saying to myself, life is Christ, nothing else matters. My life is... In Christ, nothing else matters. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places, filled with the love of God and the peace of God and the joy of God. And I bless these two guys. And I agree with you, Jesus, that they have unsurpassable worth. And they were with you dying for. And I just pray blessing all over them. And I pray you surround this conversation. And Lord, flow through me in your love and your perfect peace. And blah, 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 blah. I'm, I'm mentally multitasking. Which maybe you would think would, would cut down my ability to, to attend to what they're saying. But actually, it's the other way around. We always multitask mentally. It, 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 some are good at it, some aren't. But, but the, having two things going on, like a, a commentary as you're talking with somebody, is possible. But if you say yes to that trigger and go with your amygdala, now, now you're not listening to what they're saying. It is impossible, physically impossible for you to be angry, your amygdala to be activated, and your prefrontal lobe cortex to keep operating. It shuts down. That's part of the, the amygdala shuts it down. Uh, because from an evolutionary point of view, Reason will only get in the way here. You need to act on instinct. Uh, and so if, if you're, once you're triggered, it really, there's no point in talking any longer if you're hollering. No point. Zero. Nothing good will come. I should say nothing. It's very, very, very unlikely that anything good is going to come of a conversation once two parties are triggered. 
Uh, but you can reprogram that. That's the good news. You don't have to listen to the elephant. You can say no. And um, once you introduce Christ into the situation, just try it. It just brings about peace. There's a calmness there. Now you're able to listen to what they're saying, even though you've got a commentary going on to keep yourself anchored. Uh, but, but you can hear what they're saying, and you can think about what they're saying, because you don't need to be right. You know, your life is Christ. Nothing else really matters. Final thing I'll say is this. It takes practice. Um, if you wait until, if you don't think about this message until the next time you get triggered, I guarantee you, you're going to, it's 99.9% chance likely that you're going to respond the way you always have. Because we're creatures of habit. You, it takes practice and intentionality to uh, develop a kind of mind that even cares about taming that elephant, let alone that's capable of doing it. And so by practice, I mean this. Don't wait until you're in a triggered situation to be reminding yourself that you are loved in Christ and that, that, that you're filled with the joy of God and the peace of God and the grace of God and that you're a, creature, a new creature in Christ Jesus. And all. Let that be part of your narrative all the time. We're always creating a narrative, right? Whatever path you're on, you're, you're creating a narrative of rightness. Uh, oh, this is good. I feel, oh, I, folks, I feel revelation coming on right now. Hang on. Either you're creating a narrative of rightness or you're creating a narrative of Christness. Something like that. Look at the only way, the only way, the, I see it more clearly right this moment than I've ever seen it before. But the only way to keep from becoming a self-righteous mind is to be always cultivating a Christ-centered mind. It's the only way. The only way I can know for sure that I'm not just rationalizing and kidding myself, making up reasons for why I'm going in this direction, the only way I can be sure of that is if the ultimate reason I'm going in this direction is not me, but it's Christ. Uh, I don't know if I can ever say clearer than that. Do you see that? Do you see that? The only hope of this world, because see, folks, is the, the riders are getting smarter and smarter, but we're not, but we're not controlling our elephants any better. But that just means we, 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 we get better at weaponizing things against other riders on other elephants. And, and the direction that this world's going. It used to be that you know, conflicts would only cause this much damage, but the smarter these riders get, the more damage we can cause. And I don't have a whole, whole lot of hope for humanity, especially after reading this book, because very few people are talking to their elephants. <laughs> the elephants are just doing what elephants do. They're just getting better at doing it, and it's, it's going to be destructive. The only hope of this world, the only hope of this country, and the only hope of this person is Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ is the crux of the matter, always. So be practicing that, uh, cultivating that mindset. Uh, the goal is to make that a kind of a 24-7 thing. That's your default. Uh, the other way to practice this is just by, in prayer, imagining it. Uh, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. What does it look like? Envision. Envision the conversation, the most recent conversation you had where you lost it, where you got triggered. That didn't go well. And, and, and bring that up in, in prayer. But then... Ask Jesus to show you what does it look like? What do you look like? What do you feel like? What are you thinking? What's going on, on the inside of you when you respond not according to your animalistic elephant, but you respond according to your submission to Christ? Uh, and, and see that and enter into that. Identify with that. Associate with that. Um, and, 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 and go through that a number of times. And there will be part of your brain that will say, oh, come on, you're just kidding yourself. That's just your imagination. You're just making that up. You're just pretending. That won't be any... Of course, it's going to think that because this is a new thought. And anytime you think a new thought, it feels like you're pretending. So just get used to that. But since you have reason to believe that this is what is true, see it. Press through that. See it. Incarnate it. Just, and, and go over that again and again and again. And 
That's how you reprogram that trigger. Imagining yourself getting triggered, but not then saying yes to it and getting enraged. Rather, you get triggered, and that turns your mind to Christ. Person cuts you off on the highway. The trigger reminds you, oh yeah, you're supposed to bless them. You can reprogram that thing. And uh, I think that's, folks, that, that everyone's a Christian. Every Christian at least is a Christian, more or less, until they get triggered. Think about it. it. It's easy to be Christian when you're happy, <laughs> when things are going well, and you're having. A, it's what happens when you get triggered. That will either here, here's what you manifest. Really, what's going on in your life? Are you an elephant follower or are you an elephant steerer? Do you guide your elephant or does your elephant guide you? It's okay for the elephant to guide you most of the time, but there's times where uh, the elephant wants to do things that you know are not of Christ. You train, reprogram the trigger, you're training the elephant itself to remind you to not follow it when, 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 when it wants to rage or when it wants to do anything that's out, out of character with Christ. It comes back down to what we always say, getting your life from Christ and being a disciple of your mind. That's, that, that's the one-two punch right there. Take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Whatever's good, whatever's holy, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, Paul says, think on those things, which means never think about anything other than those things. Ultimately, discipleship is about taming that elephant which means it's discipleship is ultimately about taming the mind, bringing every thought captive, making this thing go according to Christ. All right. Would you stand? I'd like to call the prayer teams to come up here. And uh, if you're here this morning and have any need uh, that could use prayer, for example, getting home safe, uh, come up here and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, congratulations for coming out on a tough morning. Uh, but I would encourage you to think about uh, what it means to follow Christ. If you have a question about that, just come up here and talk to these folks. They'd love to discuss that with you. You guys, as we leave here, can we do it as a kingdom people who are committed to uh, telling our elephant, saying no to our elephant once in a while? Last word. It's good to say no to the elephant even if you don't have a reason to. Just to practice. Like, spiritual disciplines. We're so used to saying yes to the elephant. Just practice saying no to it just because you want to say no to it. It's like with a dog. Sometimes I'll just say, don't come in the room. Just to, like, remind it that I'm boss and let's follow my rules. Well, like fasting or give up something, something that you like to do, say no to it for a little bit, and that's just good. You're strengthening the bicep of that, of, of that higher self of yours, all right? Uh, always be practicing that. So let's be a people who are committed to taking every thought captive to Christ, disciples of the mind, leaders of the elephants. God bless you guys. Go out and love on your neighbors.